Welcome to SBRE Capital Matters, the only show focused on the small balance real estate community with your host, Matt Burke. Well, today, actually, we're going to switch things around. This is Paul Roberts, who usually uh, engineers the shows here at our uh, station. And because it's the end of the year, the final show of uh, 2017, we thought we'd switch roles here a little bit and interview the show's host, Matt Burke, to learn a little more about him, his background, his company, and really to get his take, you know, kind of a look back at the past year and a look forward to 2018 here in the whole small, balanced real estate industry. So welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. And uh, we're not going to feel too... I'm going to make everybody feel really bad about Matt here. He normally is up in uh, rainy Portland, but today he's in sunny Indian Wells, California, out by Palm Springs and Palm Desert here, soaking up the sun for the holidays. Yeah, not a bad place to be here this time of year, for sure. Does it seem strange to spend the holidays in a sunny place? I mean, I, I grew up in the Midwest, so I... Uh, I've had to struggle with that for 20 years, whether or not there should be snow for Christmas. No, I, I grew up in California. I was actually born down here in the desert. And, uh, oh, you were? Family and I've been, yeah, my family and I have been coming down to the desert for the Christmas break for years, so uh, we're kind of used to it by now. Well, the first Christmas wasn't with snow, so I guess, uh, well, I don't know where we got this tradition along the way here, but, well, I hope that, uh, I hope we can hold your attention with the sun and all the activities out there, and Take a look back at, uh, you know, let's start by you telling us a little bit more about who you are. I didn't know you're from Southern California and how you got started in this unique, small, balanced real estate space. Yeah, well, I got started in the business really out of college, working for uh, a couple of banks and ended up working for a thrift uh, and loan out of Southern California. I was in Northern California. They were based in Century City. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, cut my teeth at that at that place, learning how to do a real estate secured, you know, higher interest rate loans that that didn't really meet more traditional guidelines. And then um, moved to Portland in 1991 and started a branch office for those guys. And shortly thereafter, they uh, got caught up like a lot of SNLs in the in the uh, in the SNL crisis. 90s. Yeah. Right, exactly. And uh, closed up a bunch of shops, and I, I opened Fairway in 92. So I started doing uh, a lot of private. I mean, I brokered loans initially, but we pr- pretty quickly gravitated toward doing private loans with you know private individuals. And we would originate and underwrite the deals and keep the fees. And then we would pass the interest through to the private investors who would put up the capital. And, you know, I kind of just started started doing that in, uh, in the early early and mid-90s. And what did they refer to this space as? I, I, I still struggle to what it's called. Is, is this an alternative way of investing? I know, uh, when did the term small balance real estate come into play here? Well, I think it depends on what perspective you come from as to sort of what the nomenclature is that, that uh, you're referring to. So if I'm you know, in the business itself, a lot of it People call it, you know, private lending or hard money lending. Right. Um, if you come from more of the traditional wealth management space, it, it, all of this would be considered alternative investments. Mm-hmm. Anything that's not, you know, ac- publicly traded equities or mutual funds or, or uh, you know, the stock and bond market. So it would be considered all small balance is a term that came about, I don't know, a year, 10 years ago or so. Uh, that really referred to the 
commercial lending side of the equation for for loans that were below a certain size, institutional size, and mm-hmm. we sort of adopted that terminology, small balance, and applied it generally to real estate and defined it as you know anything that is sub-institutional in size or scope or nature. Right. Um, and and I really the common thread that we've created for small balance real estate entrepreneurs is it refers to anybody who's running a real estate asset-based business that requires them to go out and raise capital from third-party investors on an ongoing basis in order to execute that strategy. So right. the common thread is they got to go raise money from yeah. investors, and that's, that's hard to do. All the time. So I understand that something dramatic happened during the Great Recession, at least in this space. I mean, it seems like everything changed in the Great Recession. Can you describe how it changed your business? Yeah, I think obviously it had a lot of uh, a lot of things happen to a lot of people, and so I was really no different than a lot of guys in this business. But for me, two things happened. One was, and this had nothing to do with the Great Recession, but the timing happened to coincide as I had a partner who I had taken on in, in early 2008 who got diagnosed with cancer oh, uh, 40, 45 days into our partnership. Oh. And uh, he oh, was 41 God. years old at the oh, time. And he ended up uh, 22 months later in December of, of 2009. He, he passed away at age 43. Oh, my God. So de- dealing with that during the time when the market was sort of melting down and, you know, capital got frozen and delinquencies were increasing and, you know, the people were, capital markets were just in turmoil, right, with all the things that were going on. Uh, was challenging. So the other <laughs> Ch- thing, challenging is the polite word, the, the easy word we yeah. put it. The whole world stopped. Uh, oh my goodness, that's just that's unbelievable. Yeah, so dealing, yeah, yeah, dealing with the personal thing during that time was was tough. But the um, perhaps the more uh, longer term uh, impact for me was I had a large credit facility with with a national lender that financed a lot of our uh, our current then current fund and they they like many institutions during that time didn't want to continue to engage in that line of business anymore and they they pulled the plug on our credit facility and it forced us to have to wind down our then largest fund to date and that decision or those two things combined really forced me to take a deep look at what we were doing and we essentially completely metamorphosized our our um business model. And really since then, what we've been doing is, is providing advisory and consulting services to small balance real estate entrepreneurs who do have to go raise money from investors to execute their business model, but really don't have all of the resources at their disposal to, to, to get that business to where they want it to be in order to attract capital consistently enough to, to fund their deal. So and what's no, the challenge? Is it is it going to find the money? Is it structuring the deals so that they're appealing to investors and pick in different times and place, or is it accounting for all this stuff and just tracking it all, making sure everybody gets what they're they think they're going to get here? Well, I think it's a combination of all of the above, but I, I would say that you know we really view it as a uh, it's a system, it's a construct, right? To be really successful. In this business, there are multiple component and interrelated parts that people have to just be committed to getting good at, and uh, and it encompasses a lot of those things, Paul. And I'd say, 
a not a huge number of people break out beyond a certain size or scale of the business because they just can't I think part of it is just even identifying what those things are yeah. it's hard for a lot of people to do. And then to actually then be able to systematically improve your abilities in multiple areas is, you know, of course, harder for even more people to do. And I, you know, I can certainly go into more of that after. after and what kind of, sk- what kind of people are in this space? It seems like there are a certain number of people that they're developer types. They started building something and then they found that worked and, so they have some real estate background or some lending background, and they get into building a project or buying a project or whatever, and then that turns into another one. That's a certain type of entrepreneurial risk taker. Um, or maybe they have the more technical building side skills, and they really you know, know how to execute and get things done on a budget and on a time frame. But none of those necessarily are accounting type of people. None of those are legal uh, structure kind of people. And I, and I wonder that so often... You know, I hear so many of these deals just go bad because it's the it's the paperwork, it's the structure that falls apart. It's not the fundamental ability to build or buy something. Well, I think there's uh, I, certainly I agree that real estate people are not necessarily enamored with all of the other components, the detail oriented components that go along with it, the yeah. legal the structure the admin, all of that, yet you really need to be good at it. So most people will end up hiring people who are better at those things. Um, And, you know, that can be difficult to do depending on how big you are and how many resources you have to to bring those people on. So um, at the end of the day, I think that there are things that real estate people, and I'm generalizing, but things that they tend to be good at and that come naturally, and then there's things that tend to be, uh, foreign to them that yeah. come naturally that they're not as interested in that are the harder ones for them to master and get really good at in order to attract capital from people they don't know. And that's what keeps them constantly searching and constantly staying small because they can't seem to get elevate their game and go to that next level, which I think takes more sophisticated backroom and, and support. Well, talk a little bit about what you originally did for when you first started working with SBRE entrepreneurs around the country, what kind of things were you doing for them? Was it just helping them find money? No, not really. I mean, it's helping them do a better job of creating a structure that allowed them to be more attractive to capital. So I think initially our premise, and this is going back to about 2012 when we really first conceived of you know, how we could help provide value to these people, but mm-hmm. setting up a pooled investment fund where investors are not necessarily investing in a specific deal, but rather they're in a, in a fund that's managed by the entrepreneur right. to pick and choose the assets. And that's an order of magnitude more uh, complex than doing it one deal at a time. Yeah, so right. we provided a great deal of help to them in terms of how to structure that. Um, as time has gone on, I've learned a, a great deal of things that, uh, you know, just through trial and error, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that most entrepreneurs really need more uh, structural help just on the overall component of, of how they run that business, right? What, what are they going to, how are you structuring the management entities? Right. How do the fee structures align? How am I going to administer it on the back end? What is the legal piece is actually probably the most simple part of it. 
once you know what structure you want to get, and mm-hmm. it's super important, you have to have uh, good counsel to provide you with the documents that you need and, and all of that. But knowing how to structure it is difficult. So, so really, what we do is provide very bespoke uh, advisory for people to pen- and meet them where they are. Right. So mm-hmm. different people are at different points in their lifespan of their business, but meet them where they are, do a deep dive assessment of what it's going to take to, in order to uh, attract capital, particularly from people outside of your sphere of influence. Right. Your friends and, and family or the people that have done a deal with you before here or whatever. Yeah. I, I call it the FFR zone, friends, family, relatives. And that's <laughs> where most people get stuck because they, um, People that trust you implicitly don't necessarily care as much if if all of your operations and your structure are completely dialed in. They just know that you're a good guy and you're going to do right by them and they'll they'll invest. But once you try to go outside the FFR zone to people that you don't know, you really have to have a much higher uh, threshold of, of execution on multiple levels. And that's where people have a very difficult time breaking through. So our but I believe that to do that well, it, it requires following a very identifiable uh, sequence of, of steps to improve certain areas of your business in order to get to a point where you can legitimately and consistently attract capital from people outside your FFR zone if you want to scale that business. And that's really what we help them do. Well, perfect place to take a break. Maybe when we come back, you can outline some of those steps that uh, that uh, you think people need to put in place so they can kind of understand a little more about what it takes to get to the next level and how you can help them get to the next level. And then we'll spend the rest of our time looking back at 2017, what trends, what uh, what things you've seen, identified, and, and pull out your crystal ball and we'll look at 2018. So all that more with uh, Matt Burke as we take a look at the SBRE Capital Matters Show, and right after word from our sponsors. High net worth investors are increasingly demanding that alternative investment asset managers of all kinds, hedge fund, private equity, and real estate managers alike, provide them with access to reporting and information on par to the public markets. They want something that is easy and transparent. The innovative team at Fiducia Labs has developed such a response, the next generation of trust tools, the desired solution. Introducing Marco, the alternative investment platform. Marco has been specifically designed to streamline the entire investment process from start to finish and all points in between. An elegant, intuitive interface that is efficient, effective, and removes the barriers to adopt. Enables Marco to give you all your investors the edge to make investing and managing alts easy and transparent. To learn more about Marco, please visit www.getmarco.com. Marco, the alternative investment platform. The small balance real estate community is growing. Comprised of serious real estate entrepreneurs and savvy high net worth investors, the shared abundance mindset is a bond. SBREfunds.com is where the SBRE community gathers to grow their knowledge and their portfolios. If you are looking for SBRE investment opportunities, educational content across the spectrum of SBRE-focused topics, and an online resource exclusively servicing the flourishing SBRE community, then SBREfunds.com welcomes you. 
All right, I'm Paul Roberts, uh, back with the host, the, the, the usual host of our show. We're turning the tables on him and uh, interviewing him today, Matt Burke. Um, we were talking a little bit before the break there about some of the steps that takes to get to the next level. Here, Give, give me a quick summary of some of those things. If I want to elevate my game and get out of the, what would you call it, the FF, friends, family, and relatives uh, zone here? Yeah, the FFR zone. So what does it take to get out of that uh, zone, and what does it take? What kind of steps to, should they be thinking about to get to the next level? Well, I think that what tends to come very naturally to them is the uh, real estate side of the equation, which is the uh, asset identification, you know, the origination and acquisition of those assets, right. the, kind of the underwriting component, and, and even the asset management you know, after you've closed on the deal. Uh, but I think the pieces that really enable somebody to kind of bust out of the FFR zone um, are more on what I would call investor-focused uh, activities. Mm-hmm. And I think these are higher-order skills that for most real estate entrepreneurs, they, they have a hard time doing. And I would put uh, administration in that category. Certainly, yeah. But just the paperwork alone, trying to, because you've now got multiple projects and some sort of pooled investment here. The accounting, the tracking, the investment allocation, uh, you know, all the calculations of our returns and, and so forth, but the audits, the taxes, just all of the financial back end of the, of the deal becomes very challenging for a lot of people. Um, I would put structure and operations in that category. So the way in which you structure your uh, business, your management entity, the capital structure of any given deal, you know, syndication, if it's putting investors directly into one transaction or uh, a fund, if you're putting multiple investors and multiple deals into the same entity, how you structure it is super important. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, I would put operations in that category. So business operations, I find that, and this is true, I think, for entrepreneurs generally, not just small balance real estate entrepreneurs, but uh, entrepreneurs just generally at how they run the business. You know, the vision, what it is you're trying to achieve, the values that you live by, right. the strategy that you're pursuing, the you know how you set priorities to achieve those strategies, and just the operational uh, disciplines of running a business well, I think, is super important to getting outside the FFR zone and you know, and again, that's not necessarily limited to uh, real estate entrepreneurs. That's that's true generally. Yeah, I More think so. Specific to real estate entrepreneurs, in addition to those things, I I would say it's the the capital raise strategy, how you're going about finding investors and engaging those investors, what you know, where, what sources, what marketing strategies do you use, what communications are you putting in place to those people. And every one of them would have a different set of uh, rules. If you're going to go after family offices, I'm sure that's different than if you're just going to try and identify individual high net worth uh, investors or I guess you're not doing uh, institutional stuff at this point. But Yeah, we don't. But like some people, a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to go to the institutional side when in fact they really have little to no chance of it ever happening and therefore they waste a very large amount of time and money pursuing channels that really don't have much of a chance of success going in and if they just did a better job up front of developing a strategic plan 
they could save themselves a lot of time and effort and just get more results. Um, and then the last component is like what I call investor relations, which is different than capital raising. This would be after investors have put money with you, whether in a syndication or a fund or whatever. How do you communicate to them around what's happening in the deal? So Critically important. How do you hold their hand? How do you make sure they they don't panic and want to pull out or get upset or whatever here? That's right. You know, administration is calculating it. The investor relations is communicating it. The frequency of communication, the depth of communication, the type of communication, uh, the accuracy of the communication. I mean, it, it, people are all over the map uh, as to how they do this. And I would say the vast majority, if they haven't busted out of the FFR zone, do very little when it comes to uh, getting excellent at investor relations. And look at the work in progress for us, too, after all these years. I mean, it's, it's just it's hard, it's time-consuming, and it requires level of commitment. So really, Paul, I mean, a lot of it for us is helping people understand these handful of uh, component parts that I just mentioned, and then developing action steps to systematically improve at each one of these areas, knowing that over time it's worth the effort because it, it will enable you to raise more capital. Exactly. Okay, so let's look back. 2017's over. Any trends you see that, uh, what what stands out for you as you look back at the last year? The amount of deals, the uh, kind of deals, the, the structure of deals, I don't know. What 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 the space looked like last year? Well, I think the, um, I, I, it was a strong year, for sure. The real estate market as a whole has held up very well. Um, uh, you know, I think there's some softening, certainly, in certain subsectors. But overall, I think it was was a strong year on a, uh, a very long run. I mean, we're going on, what, eight or nine years now? Yeah, nine this years market. of this yeah. expansion, right? How long can it go? Forever? Well, forever is, no, that's not going to happen. But uh, I do think it has some runway left. And I'd say, you know, looking at 18, I feel like it's going to look a lot like 17. You know, I think there's a lot of money in the space that people are looking to allocate, but I think deals are harder to come by. It's a frothier environment. Um, but I think the the uh, 2008 to 11 period is still pretty fresh in a lot of people's minds, so you're not seeing as much of the uh, irrational exuberance that you saw. Prior to that, I mean, certainly things have loosened up. I think there's more, you know, banks are, and insurance companies and other lenders are putting plenty of money out, but they're right. not getting as carried away with their criteria as they did in the past, mm-hmm. which I think has helped contribute to the longevity of of the uh, recovery. I, I feel like, you know, interest rates are likely to continue to rise, but slowly and moderately. More than uh, more than likely. What about the new like, tax bill? Uh, one of the things that's in the news a lot is the 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 change in uh, pass through income. And uh, you know, I, I will say that I'm I have certainly been you know reading about it at a high level, but I haven't really dived into any deep details. I, I think it's probably likely on balance to be helpful to the real estate market, but I don't think it's going to fundamentally alter you know, what's going to happen on the real estate front, you know, one way or the other. So what kind of deals are 
popular these days. You know, here I live in uh, Orange, I live in Orange County in Southern California. Everybody's doing multifamily to the point where I got to believe at some point we're overbuilding. We're building too many apartment complexes here. Uh, nobody's building shopping centers. You know, uh, twenty years ago it was everybody was building a shopping center in every corner. What what are you seeing? Well, I think multifamily is. There's definitely overbuilding happening in certain markets, uh, particularly some of the big gateway and coastal markets. And I think you're seeing too much product come online with too too high of uh, assumptions that need to be met in order to make those projects viable. So I think you'll see multifamily get hurt in some sectors. I mean, now I won't say that's true everywhere. There right. are some markets where I feel like multifamily is, you know, still quite good, and over the long haul, I think multifamily is a very stable asset class. So, but I, I think there's danger in multifamily, you know, right now. Uh, I I think re- what's happening in retail is a fascinating uh, subject. There's a lot of fear from a lot of people. A lot of fear. Retail, yes. Amazon effect, um, but I think there are also a lot of opportunities in retail, and I think a lot of that you're going to see. There's a lot of really well-located pieces of property that are in, you know, fully developed areas that are going to have to reinvent themselves. So I think you'll see a lot of redevelopment and repurposing of uh, different types of retail centers, particularly some of the, you know, malls and some of these larger big box type yeah. centers. Who was the big? What didn't what, some big mall company pull out or something and just say they're going to sell off all their malls or something? Not not Simon, but somebody else. I thought I read getting out of the space yeah I, I saw that and i you know I, I know people personally that are in the mall business that are you know looking at i mean you, you hear different takes from different people but i'd say um we're very interested in the repurposing of uh well-located retail centers into other uses and that seems to be a trend that i think is likely to continue we have a show on the network here that deals with a very very niche topic Hotel investing, um, and 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 all that goes with it. Um, what do you think? It, California prices have never been higher, and people again are wondering why. Um, but it's just a bet, yeah. a bet on that. You know, the tourism will continue to grow, and that market will continue to rise. And and they're seeing prices for some of these hotels. The new Virgin Hotel up in San Francisco. I don't know if it's open yet or going to be open. They paid so much they've got to get a thousand bucks a night. For a hotel room up there, I, I just don't know how that pencils out. But well, I mean, projects like that are things that, at least for us, are things I would I mean, I'm just scared of because I don't like those kinds of assumptions or numbers. But right. uh, you know, hotel specifically, I mean, we have a sponsor that is a client of ours on, on a number of our business units that uh, is in that business, and I talk to him pretty frequently, and he's. He's having a hard time finding deals that'll pencil because people are just paying too much. Yeah, right. For exactly. Things. Uh, so the market is frothy, but he, you know, operationally, it, he's doing very well. I mean, occupancy is up. You know, average daily rates are up. Yeah. Um, so on the stuff they have right now, they're they're very happy with it. But new acquisitions are much more difficult. For me personally, I, I the hospitality industry is challenging because it is a very management intensive. Business. So, unlike the other, I, I like real estate that is more 
that is less dependent on having to have, you know, truly exceptional operational capacity like you have to have in certain things like Yeah, got to have good service, good food, good everything, good marketing, or or people won't come here, you know. That's right. Whereas, you know, an apartment building or a retail center or self-storage facility or things like that, I mean, obviously you have to manage them, but it's a completely different animal than, than, you know, say hospitality or assisted living or something like that. Well, we're down to our last 30 seconds, so uh, any uh, final takeaways, any thoughts as you look forward here? Uh, what kinds of topics are coming up on the show here? Uh, I think we're going to see a lot around the capital side of the equation. You know, people's, you know, kind of the number one thing I hear from our clients is, you know, how do I do a better job raising capital? How do I find more money? I just want to get more capital. So right. I think we're going to really focus on that side of the equation in 2018 and help people develop the capacities they need in order to break out of that FFR zone and, and do a better job raising capital from people they don't know. So I see a lot of focus on that. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing all that and more as we continue to uh, see this space grow and uh, continue to see, uh, as you said, I mean, there still seems to be some leg to the uh, economy and the expansion and all this stuff here. So it'll be curious to see how uh, things adapt in this space and if any new trends emerge. Well, Paul, I look forward to it, and I appreciate your uh, your stepping in as host today and taking some time with me. All right. Well, enjoy the sun and fun out in the desert, and we'll see you back in January uh, as we delve back into small balance real estate and the one show, Capital Matters, because when it comes to SBRE, well, really, as we've talked about, capital does matter. Thanks so much. Thanks, Paul. You have been listening to SBRE Capital Matters, hosted by Matt Burke. To enjoy other episodes, please visit www.sbrefunds.com slash radio. Nothing in this show is intended to be or should be accepted as legal, accounting, or investment advice. None of the Fairway America companies provide that kind of professional service to SBRE entrepreneurs or investors. Fairway America strongly encourages anyone offering or making SBRE investments to work with qualified attorneys, accountants, and investment advisors to help them navigate the many legal and similar issues that are not addressed here.